T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Great song. Great Lincoln Park fan uh, over here. Welcome to the 1 o'clock hour, everybody. Sports Talk Saturday continuing on our train track path to Bills Buccaneers tomorrow, 425 p.m. kick here on the home of the Bills, WGR Sports Radio 550. And joining me and my final guest of the afternoon on the Western Hotline is Cover One's Greg Thompson to help me piece the final pieces of this puzzle together and get you uh, a proper full preview here on Saturday for our Sunday matchup tomorrow against the Buccaneers. Greg, good morning, or I'm sorry, good afternoon to you. Sorry, my, my, my brain is still a little mishmash from the last seven weeks of, of disappointment. But all in all, my friend, glad to have you on, and um, I'm looking forward to our segment of Talking Bills Buccaneers here. Absolutely. Ryan, John, Mike, it's uh, quite a lead-up here. I'm hoping I can feel the shoes. I'm sure you won't have any problems. They're all great gentlemen, but so are you. And Greg... Uh, we, we had an interesting 12-hour segment because, uh, well, not 12-hour segment, but the 12 o'clock hour segment with John Ledyard, who was kind of pumping the confidence back into the fan base, and then Mike, my man, who uh, who deemed the Bills Chumpzilla, which is a new uh, fictional character that I think you should maybe do some research on because he's, uh, he's a special man. I, assuming, of course, Chumpzilla is, in fact, a man. Um, but all in all, Greg, I guess first we can start with the broader topic here, which is where you stand on, quote, what is wrong with the Bills? Because I think we wouldn't be talking about what, quote, is wrong with the Bills from an inch here in Tennessee, a play there in Monday Night Football, and a play there in Jacksonville. But nonetheless, Greg, I mean, even with that inch, even with those yards here and there, those plays, this is a team over the last six weeks that is averaging 22 points per game on offense. That is not who this team is. So what's wrong? Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, there's a lot of different things where it forces you to ask tough questions about, you know, how is it execution? Are, are they not, you know, seeing things? Is it, is it the play calling? Are they not setting themselves up for success? Is it not the right combination of, you know, players in the right mix in, in where it is? And, and ultimately, like most things, it's, it's not simple. It's never the one thing that we want it to be to blame and say, oh, well, let's go fix that one thing, and now we can make it good. Um, ultimately, I, I still come down to this offensive line, and I think that the combination of, you know, do we have the right talent, the areas that we have talent, are they able to execute the same blocking scheme to the highest level, 
are we utilizing the right blocking scheme to be able to get the most out of the talent? And then the cascading impact that that has, and whether that's, you know, the the defense doesn't have to respect the running game as much, so the play action isn't as, isn't as effective. Um, we see what Josh Allen can do when he's given time, but if he's constantly under pressure and constantly having to question that, we also see what can happen to him when, you know, we, we joke about Sam Darnold and other quarterbacks seeing ghosts, but that's what it causes when you don't know, is that pressure coming? I've gotten pressured on the previous 18 dropbacks, one that 19th one, if it kind of looks like a guy is coming, it, all of a sudden it's easy to bail from a clean, from a clean pocket. And we know that people are going to highlight that, that clip and show it the, Oh, look, Josh Allen bailing from a clean pocket. What's he doing? Well, he got pressured on the previous 18 straight dropbacks. It's the hard to blame him. So ultimately I think there is more Brian Dable could do. I think there's a better job Josh Allen could do. I think that some of the receivers could help him out a little bit more. I think the running backs could be more patient, but ultimately this offensive line is not doing the job. And I, I, until they do, I think this roller coaster and up and down season is going to continue. What is so hard to Greg about this whole struggle offensively is the conjecture in trying to come to a agreed upon reason that this offense is struggling. Because I think if everybody had their way, the easiest thing to do here is point the finger at Brian Dable and say, you suck and you should be fired and Ken Dorsey should take over. Because we just have all the evidence in the world that he's going to walk in and be a better offensive coordinator. Because, you know, all the experience he has as a play caller. Or, hey, you know, and this is something that I'll even find myself maybe pointing to is maybe the head coach has too much influence over because and and listen Greg I don't have information to tell me to tell anyone that that Sean McDermott is walking into the room on every Monday morning and saying this is what I want from you Brian but it is also important to note that just like in any job in life when your middle management like Brian Dable is there is always direction that your boss is going to tell you that you need to get the troops in line with and I do think there's a level of I want to see this team throw out of their funk and I'm not sure that the coach, the head coach, wants that. I think he wants. I think he believes in order for them to get out of this funk that they do need to run the ball with better efficiency. Now that doesn't mean we all agree that that doesn't mean running the ball more. But the current pace and the current clip that they're running the football, Greg, I want to say is holding them back. I think it's fair. I think that there's. I think anytime you get into the funk that they're in it lays everything on the table. It's feasible to question everything. And you wonder, is that an influence? I'll question and I'll flip it around. Do we wonder that about last year when they were 31 points a game and, you know, setting and shattering franchise records? Was that a question of, oh, was McDermott coming in and giving influence at that point and saying, hey, I want more upbeat, I want more passing, I want more scoring? Or does your mind go to say, oh, that must have been when he was all of a sudden hands off and for the first time in his entire coaching career not involved and not having a say in what the offenses were doing? So I I do think sometimes we conveniently apply terms when we're desperately seeking answers, and seeking the answer is valid. But it it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what it was. Because, again, I don't think anybody was saying that last year in that, oh, man, thank God Sean McDermott is our head coach because he's the reason that we are scoring all these points and shattering these offensive records. But I promise you he was no less involved at that Mm -hmm. point. He was no no 
he didn't all of a sudden become this hands-off, laissez-faire CEO coach. That's not his style. He was just as involved last year when they were shattering records. So now you turn that around. Is there still a human nature element of, man, I hate to see us get punched in the mouth. I want to be able to turn around and do that back to teams or show them that we're not. And honestly, I, I get the human emotion of that. I get the psychological element of, hey, I want my guys to be able to see that they're tough enough to do this and flip around. Ultimately, I, I wish they wouldn't. I wish they would just say, you want to know what? That's fine. You keep bringing that tough, difficult knife to this fight, I've got a bazooka. And our bazooka is connected to the right shoulder of our quarterback. That's what's going to decide whether we win or lose. There is no element of slightly increased efficiency or a little bit better effectiveness in running the game or a few more broken runs that it, it result in explosive plays, which I espouse on my show constantly of, hey, explosive plays help decide these things along with turnover differential. That's never going to be the reason that the needle gets moved to the element and the degree that we need. It is only going to be done by the passing game. This team is going as far as the passing offense and passing defense takes them, and anything else is ultimately window dressing. Greg Thompson, a cover one here on the Western Hotline. We're talking a little bit about the Bills' offensive struggles, who's to blame, what's to blame, and Greg... I think I want to reduce this down as something as simple as something that we're all dealing with right now. Trust. And I think you're spot on. I think that there, I want to say that Sean McDermott is no more involved in the offensive game plan as he was last year. I agree with that. But I think the biggest difference this year is his shift in trust. Last year, there's no doubt that any coach in this organization would have had a tough time saying, I trust my defense more than my offense. So because of that, decisions were made with an inherent trust in the offensive side of the ball. Now that that trust has shifted back to where he feels most comfortable in trusting the defense, would you maybe point to that as a simpler, maybe easier to explain reason why the shift in coaching style has changed the way that it has changed. Is it is it is it just as simple as this is a guy who's a defensive, old school minded head coach, and he can finally trust the defensive side of the ball, and he's always going to sort of revert back to that rather than being the guy that trusts his pass heavy offense, right? Yeah, and and I, I don't think that's crazy. I, I do think there's a basic instinctive nature of all of us going back to what we're good at. And that's ultimately where he made his bones and where those things are at. And I think that, again, this stretch has been ugly and difficult and painful for fans to watch and and to be able to go through there. We have to realize there are also games this season where they went through a stretch of scoring 35, 43, 40, 38, 31, Mm -hmm. all consecutively. They just had games in the past four weeks where they put up 45 and 31 So it's not as though, I I know the averages are tough. Having a game with nine points in there is terrible. Having a game with 15 points in there is terrible. Having a game with 10 points in there is terrible. None of those are acceptable. I think elements of consistency are, from what I've seen, more so on the execution, more so on Mm. the failures of the offensive line than all of a sudden saying, oh, we're taking our foot off the gas. We're not pushing for that, you know, step on the throat mentality of putting up all those points. Well, we did against the Jets just a couple weeks ago, putting up 45. We put up 31 
on things, you know, Thanksgiving night against the Saints, they haven't had any issues that stretch. I rattled off the six straight games of 31 or above, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's still there. That was this season. It feels like forever ago. It feels like it was a year ago. That was just a month or two ago. Um, I think that, you know, I, I love the way that, that John and Mike, and I've heard authors espouse similar things that, um, I think Ben Baldwin put it out mm-hmm. there. He had a graph of the uh, the conversion rate of holding teams away from converting on first downs and touchdowns and offenses that convert for first downs and touchdowns. And the Bills are literally in like another stratosphere from everyone else in the league of the combination of the two. And he you know, described it that, hey, one-score games are fluky, and there's another universe somewhere where the Bills are 10-2 and two or 11-1 and one and trying to decide where they want to go on vacation during the Week 18 uh, stretch because they're just crushing everybody. That's not that far from the truth. The point differential, the amount of points scored, points allowed, they shouldn't be this inconsistent. It's not acceptable. It's also not as disastrous as it feels. It's not as horrible as what fans are making it out to be. And although having that roller coaster and that lack of consistency makes it, you use the perfect term, hard to trust that they'll turn it around, it doesn't mean that they can't. Yeah, and I think that's where I stand, right? And, and I heard the conversation in the Extra Point Show yesterday with Joe DiBiase and Sal Capaccio, and Joe said something. I'm really excited to kind of go back and forth with him on this tomorrow um, on pregame because he sort of mentioned this point of trusting the Bills in the style of play taking necessary to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers tomorrow. And I want to push back and say, yes, I do trust the 2020 version of this Bills offense to go to a shootout and win because that was the sort of situation they thrived in. But I'm not sure that the shootout is something where you have elevated pressure on the offense can succeed and and I think Greg I want to turn this into a two-part question because trust is part of this but trust in players is really important for a head coach and right now I want to say that it's not just Sean McDermott's lack of trust in the in the offense overall that's a problem is he is and, and Mike Tenier kind of put this as you're almost coaching against yourself when you take away players like Isaiah McKenzie and Matt Breida away from this offense because they make a mistake. And this offense, you know, Josh Allen makes mistakes all the time. And these are grown men in the NFL. Benching Isaiah McKenzie for three weeks because he fumbled. Listen, no one is saying that that was not an egregious mistake, fumbling that kickoff. But that was like eighth on the list of crappy things that happened in that game that caused the Bills to lose. And I, if I'm, if it's me, I mean, I'm probably looking at Sean McDermott more at not having that team prepared to go out and face that type of offense than I am Isaiah McKenzie fumbling that kickoff leading to another score. And, like, I guess I just want and I need the coach in these instances to stop handicapping himself to prove a point to his players that they need to be better. Everybody knows, everybody in that locker room knows Isaiah McKenzie's got to be better. Everybody knows Matt Breida has to stop putting the ball on the ground. But I think universally what we all know is the Bills are better when they're featuring an offense that has jet sweeps and pre-snap motions with Isaiah McKenzie. If you don't believe me, look at the stretch of the last five games last year when his role in the offense exploded and it really evolved into something. And Matt Breida, he's got 22 carries, Greg. I'm sorry, that's unacceptable when he's been far and away your most successful back. So when when thinking about trust and trust in players, like where do you stand on him sort of having this hard line approach to some players, but not to others? And I and I I'm not naive. I know that you would never hold the same level of 
you know, punishment towards Matt Breida that you would Josh Allen. I'm not dumb, and no one else is thick. I'm, I'm assuming everyone else recognizes why you don't bench a quarterback like Josh Allen and you do Matt Breida, but... At a certain point here, I need them to find ways to be more effective on the ground. And the only guy who's been able to prove that he can do it consistently is Matt Breida, albeit with him putting the ball on the ground too much. Yeah, so I, I think there are portions of what you said that I agree with 100%. They need to have that eye candy in the offense. They need to be able to disguise and confuse the defense. Uh, we actually saw it in the Packers preseason game with Matt Breida. There are other people you can do that with um, in their playing history. We've done that with Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders. Th- those players have done it for other teams and for even some stretches with the Bills. Um, there are elements of it where you can do that to be able to introduce it. I think it adds an incredibly valuable piece of the offense, and especially when we know we're not all of a sudden going to become a great rushing team. There's no scenario or no game plan where, regardless of putting in Mackenzie Breida, anybody else, or Moss or Singletary, or bringing up Antonio Williams, or elevating Christian Wade, or any other wonderfully creative thing that gets sent out on Twitter, um, (laughs) there is no scenario where it's all of a sudden going to become a great rushing offense. However, we know that some of those little extra stretches by stretching it vertically, bringing the attention of the linebacker to the outside, having to take that extra false step, wondering did they give or did they keep, and then coming back inside with a run because the linebacker took a false step outside uh, addressing the jet sweep, and then he gives. And the next time you give it to the jet sweep because they stayed home because they got burnt last time, and then the jet sweep gets an extra step on the outside, that is an effective play that is an effective strategy of what's there i will go back and say i don't believe that isaiah mckenzie or matt Breida are are that special of players that they require hey we have to find a way to get them into the game i think that's a stefan diggs kind of statement i think that's the kind of player that's there um and and i'll reference for anyone who didn't see it on hard knocks the hard knocks series that they're doing during the season they showed a clip of the Colts special teams coach highlighting Isaiah McKenzie saying, hey, our focus this week is this guy because he puts the ball on the carpet. We can get a ball back here because he's the kind of guy that has poor ball security. Other teams are highlighting that in their game planning. That's not a Sean McDermott overreaction. That's not him taking one bad play out of context. It's the reason that he fell in the draft coming out of Georgia. It's the reason that he got waived by the Denver Broncos. It's the reason he got benched with the Buffalo Bills. There's a track record of this. He's soon to be a 27-year-old man uh, in his fifth season, that that this is what he is. Um, He is incredibly explosive when he gets the ball in his hand. He is worthwhile to try to find that. Ultimately, there's a cost there where, hey, you know, having the special teams ability to, to bring back plays. I got Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. They mm-hmm. can create me explosive plays. Right. He, they can't make up for a turnover. I do want that back in the offense. I'm okay if it's someone else. I'm okay if it's if it's Isaiah McKenzie. I'd love yeah. for them to put their arms around him and bring him back and make him a piece of that to be able to, to bring it back. Because, again, when the ball's in his hands, he does good things. I have issues with the trust of so that one I'm okay with, um, but I understand the frustration, and I want that eye candy back in the offense, and I want that horizontal east-west element in the offense, and we haven't seen it for weeks. Greg, last thing for you. Gabriel Davis, more? Do we need more? Uh, is it as simple as just getting him more snaps, featuring him in more, I don't know, 
where's the disconnect? Because he has been one of this offense's best weapons this year and most consistent weapons down the field where they are struggling. And yet he's got 19 catches on the season. It's it's a super fine line. I think there are pieces of it where he benefits from being the fourth mouth on the mm-hmm. offense. Mm-hmm. He benefits from having the attention the other guys take away and that he's coming in and often facing on the other teams. However, I think he's crossed that threshold. I think he's now shown enough that you know he doesn't have the route running yet that an Emmanuel Sanders or a Beasley or a Diggs have to create separation and consistently get open to the degree that those guys can. However, he's the only one who has that real contested catch, 50-50 ball-winning ability that those guys have. Diggs has it as well to, to some extent. Um, but he's the one who can make that difference in that area. And that's not how you build an offense. You don't want to have a ton of those. But you saw it in that game. Like the, the opportunity we had for the game-winning touchdown was going to be a, you know, a post to Gabriel Diggs because that's what – you know, Josh Allen trusted. That's who he thought could win a physical matchup and be able to hold on to the ball in a tight spot. And it was not an accident that that happened. So I think they do need to find a way. And I don't think that means he needs to have 90% of the snaps and Sanders goes to the bench because Sanders brings things to the game that Davis doesn't yet. And I think he can develop into that. I think he can bring that over long-term, but he's still learning that piece of the game. He still doesn't create the short area separation to have those third and six conversions that we still need. But I do think he's earned enough where he needs to have a portion of the playbook. He needs to be in there. They've obviously shown when they're running the game, he's running the ball. He's their best uh, run blocking uh, receiver. That also means it's going to open up some things on play action. Hit him with a double yeah. move where they mm-hmm. run play action, have him fake the block, and then go for a big play. I think that we need to see that. Um, so I, I think he needs to be working more consistently. He's just shown too much uh, not to earn a bigger role. Greg, as always, my friend, appreciate you. What do you got in the works here? Uh, tell the people where they can find you and your work over at Cover One and what the weekly lineup is because I know you're on air. I, I, I might argue, and your m- wife might also argue, too much. <laughs> she would agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, so you can find me immediately following every game for our post game show on Wednesday nights, doing our preview, bringing on the best games that we, uh, the best names in the business that we can to preview the upcoming matchups, uh, and ultimately on Twitter at Greg Thompson. You can find me there or on our YouTube channel. Search Recover One on YouTube. You'll find us all over the place, trying to bring you guys the best we can and hanging out with the good people. At WGR. Awesome, my friend. Appreciate you as always. Keep up the great work. You and I, I'm sure, will be in short touch and chatting again soon. And uh, keep up the great work, buddy. Appreciate you. Thanks, everybody. Merry Christmas. You as well. Happy holidays as well. Greg Thompson there of Cover One. Um, Zach, did you see this report? Uh, it's not really, I guess I can't call it a report, but I did quote tweet it. And it's from a woman named uh, Sarah, well, I believe, I, I, I can't pronounce her name. It's S-A-I-R-A. Pieseker? And the tweet is, ESPN rinkside reporter just said Ovechkin drinks Pepsi while playing in his Gatorade water bottle, but prefers Dr. Pepper between periods. I did see this. Legend! I got to tell you, in my athletic career, I was a swimmer. I did the same thing. Really? Absolutely. So I used to drink Red Bull and eat Wendy's before my, like... 
football games that used to. So here's what would happen, right? I played JV football and I played varsity little league football. So on Saturdays, I'd have a eight a, a nine a.m. JV football game, and then a three p.m. little league football game. So I'd leave the game, get to this, get to the field, and down the field, you'd walk fifteen minutes, and there was the Wendy's, Wendy's in Hamburg. So we, I would get there, get my way in, make sure that I, because I was borderline, I was like one seventy, and the weight limit was one eighty. So every week I had to make sure I weighed in properly before I ate. I'd walk down the street, get a, get two baconators. This was the worst part, though, is is that I got a frosty. And then I oh. went out and played a football game. And I did it every single week. But to a point, like, your body's got used to it. And, like, if you I also, didn't have it, But listen, bad. as kids, it's different. Your body can take things like that as an adult. And not only that, but as an older adult in Alex Ovechkin, the fact that he is consuming those things and playing at the level that he's playing at, king stuff. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. It's, it's legend iconic stuff right there. King, Folk hero, the whole thing. King stuff. All right, pro football focus. Sam Monson, he joined the program earlier this week. We're going to replay that for you. That's coming up next year on WGR. All right, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. Our final two segments will be bringing you Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus, who did his weekly uh, segment with Mike Schopen, the Bulldog, earlier this week. Shope and the Bulldog. Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Monday, Tuesday, hump day is halfway. It's Mike Shope. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> and the Bulldog. Hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on. I know you can hear me. It's Mike Shope and the Bulldog. Guess what today is. It's hump day. Woohoo! On WGR. Hump day! Sports Radio 550. Joe's beating himself up over playing that for a second time already, just so everybody knows. He'll be back. Joe, you'll be back. It's not even wrong or anything. Oh, come on. Eh. No, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. It's at least Wednesday. No one's harder on Joe than Joe. If you had played the. Oh. Wouldn't Joe be the first to tell you that no one's harder on Joe he than Joe? He always is. Yeah. 
If he had played the the Rebecca Black Friday thing, oh, way worse. Then we just cut that right off. Yeah, that would be a real a real offense. That would I, I would have literally stopped it. It would have sounded horrible and just played anything else, music, whatever. I would, I would have sung over that. You would have sung over that. <laughs> Sam Munson of PFF. Sam, what kind of music do you like? All kinds. Uh, no particular genre. Just whatever uh, catches my attention at the time. Well, you can you can do better than that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> did you have Did you have a Spotify uh, report? End of the year report, like a lot of people, where there's oh, I listened to this song. I, I listened to. I was told, and this disturbed me, but that I had listened to Radiohead for almost six thousand minutes, and it was still only yeah. like the beginning of December. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that most people that listen to Radiohead for six thousand minutes are still alive in December. Mm. You know, those, those kinds of people would have ended it you know, long before then. Oh my! Well, that's. <laughs> I'll take that in stride, whatever that Tell means. Tell us how you really feel, won't you, Sam? <laughs> it's that depressing? Okay. It's not that it's bad. It's just that it's, you know, it, it's yep. sad. It's depressing You're right. Music. You're right. Yep. I, it, it, can't, it tells you as well in that Spotify report uh, what your most common moods were for the year based on what you listen to. And I have two young children, and they are old enough to mess around with that thing. So it's kind of like the, my daughter's into these songs called It's Raining Tacos and... Yeah. Things like that, and so my my moods of the year were melancholy and silly, which really that clashes. Yeah, well, we are squarely. Mike knows this, Sam. We are squarely in what I call Radiohead season. Like Radiohead is not a band I can listen to in May. Uh, no. it, it needs right. to be a little dreary, here, yes, uh, cold. You know, just sort of gray and like, okay, get the Radiohead out. There's a comedy sketch you guys should look up. It's probably on YouTube. That It's from a, an Irish sitcom called Father Ted, where a, a guy who's sort of suffering from depression has is, is got himself cured. He's in a great mood. He's sitting on the bus, and then they, the bus driver puts on Radiohead, and he immediately <laughs> sinks back into this pit of depression again in the space of like 10 seconds. <laughs> I will definitely look that up. All right. Well, speaking of depressing things. Uh, Monday's game, Sam, sorry, everyone, has fans reeling a little bit, or the season does, or the last month does. You know, it's 7-5, and five, doesn't look that great. And I, I've read you on this a little bit on Twitter, and that's how I feel. You know, just like super close game, good team, red zone, right? Like, it's, it's tough, though. A season can get away from you, and you can sit there the whole time and be like, well, that's just bad luck, but then it's too late at some point. Yeah, and that, that really is the only thing to come out of that game, I think, is that Buffalo lost, and that's a massive blow for their season. And obviously, it's huge because they needed to, at the very minimum, split the series with New England to have any kind of success coming out of this year and to, to be still be able to charge for the division title and, and be in that. Now they're they're behind in that run. They're, they're, they've got a real challenge to beat the Patriots um, the next time they play them, even before they get to that, they have to avoid losing to Tampa Bay. Just all of a sudden, this season is kind of getting away from them. And we're talking about a couple of plays here or there in that ridiculous weather game where, you know, I don't think you can take much meaningful from the game. And, you know, if, if Diggs manages to keep track and catch the ball in the end zone or, you know, a couple of plays bounce the other way, Buffalo wins and the narrative flips 180 degrees such is life in the NFL like that is the way this league is things entire seasons can change based off a couple of snaps 
Yeah, and that's that's got uh, it's got a lot of people here, Sam, questioning. I think, and even even the Bills coach. I mean, we're hearing a lot about toughness in the line of scrimmage and how we start training camp with you know the message that we're going to be going to be tough on both lines of scrimmage. I mean, what football coach is going to say anything different, right? But the the Bills seem like they are obsessing about it, and I'm not sure that that's real healthy because they don't have the personnel really. And really, they have a passing attack that I know has sputtered some this year, but it's still, to me, their meal ticket. And if they do anything to get away from that, I think they'd be making a mistake. Yeah, I I don't think that that this shows that Buffalo is fundamentally built in the wrong way. But I do think it's showing that right now this season is coming down to a few games against a, a, a couple of teams who match up with them really well, you know, who are able to overpower them at the line of scrimmage and impose their will in the run game and cause real problems for them in that way. And if that wasn't the case, you know, if they hadn't dropped the game at Jacksonville or if they, you know, hadn't lost to Pittsburgh in the first week of the season, who are not capable of doing that, these are the games that cause the problem, not the fact that you don't match up particularly well with the New England Patriots or the Indianapolis Colts. I think overall the Bills are built the right way to beat the best teams in the NFL in January. You know, if you had to face the Chiefs again, I think Buffalo is built in the right way to stop the Chiefs. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you do need the ability to be able to adapt and to to beat any different team in, in any given week. And right now, New England is one standing in their way. I am very much like-minded. The, the thing is, like, I, I just think about th- this is now at least three teams that could or will make the playoffs out of seven, and I want to be one of them. So I've got at least three teams, Titans, Patriots, maybe the Colts, that I'm not right for. And I have to, you know, sort of hope the the coin lands the right way, you know, when it comes to matchups, and there's there's more to it than just that. But, I mean, there's kind of a sea change here that maybe has taken them off guard, or maybe me, or just sort of the, the football public i don't know yeah I, I think it's a reasonable criticism to say that look most of the time defending the run is a conscious decision that you just load up the box and all of a sudden you're able to stop the run and it's not that that doesn't come without some risk because obviously you open up the pass game but that's the one takeaway i think that is fair to come out of this game against the patriots on monday night is that there was zero threat of the pass you could stack as many guys in the box as you wanted you could abandon having to play coverage, you could essentially have cover zero run blitzes the entire game and stop the run that way, and they still weren't really able to stop it until late. You know, in the fourth quarter, they had a few stops where they they really just stacked the line and just charged, you know, engage eight type of Madden play, and they did have a few stops. But the fact that they were um, in the first quarter – getting gashed for those big for that big run. Um, they were playing nickel defense against a team that literally was not going to put the ball in the air almost at all in the entire game. I think that's disappointing because that's something that's an adjustment that should have been made. And I get that they're not really built to do that from a personnel standpoint, but you still you're better playing a linebacker, even if it's a reserve, you know, second, third string linebacker than your nickel corner against a team that's loading up with six offensive linemen and running the ball down your throat. More from Pro Football Focus's Sam Monson. When we return, you're listening to Sports Talk Saturday right here on WGR. 
All right, welcome back to our final segment here on Sports Talk Saturday. More from the interview this week with Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus. With Sam Monson of PFF, what about New England from this game, Sam? So it's another win. The standings are the thing, but um, is there also sort of like what we got from this game was these two teams are very close and it will come down to, you know, matchups and the the like. Yeah, I think so. Again, I don't think you can take too much from that game, but if you're New England, you have to be encouraged. I mean, one, you got the win, and that was pretty much all important. Two, you saw that you were able to establish um, the ground game and, and control the line of scrimmage physically. For the most part, you were able to run the ball relatively uh, comfortably and have production. And you were able to do it without essentially showing Buffalo any of your pass game. I mean, that's a big part of this is that anything that the Patriots were planning on doing from a pass game standpoint, they were able to keep under wraps. And Buffalo hasn't seen that from them, at least, you know, face-to-face. They haven't seen it in the flesh. Obviously, the tape is still there. But New England was able to keep a lot of their powder dry in that first game all of which you would imagine is, is going to come out in the second game when uh, assuming they get to play in, in halfway decent weather. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd be surprised if they ran it as much, uh, assuming it's half-decent weather, like you said, for the rematch. Um, but, man, I mean, even if, if they're just effective doing it and they can mix in the, the Mac Jones short passing game, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned, Sam, that, that, that they couldn't, in a certain way, I'm not that worried that they got blown off the ball like they did because it was only 14 points. But the fact that you knew it was coming and still couldn't stop it makes me worried about the rematch because I feel like New England may be in a position to do, I don't know, to some extent, this might be somewhat of an overstatement, anything they want in the rematch because they have the ability to just plow the bills if they want to. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots essentially won that game operating half of their offense, you know, the, the run game and nothing to do with the pass game. In the second game, you, if they can still run the ball like that and all of a sudden Buffalo now has to think about the pass game, they can't just engage eight. They can't just run blitz with all 11 guys. They actually have to be concerned about a pass coming in over the top of it. That's going to make that an awful lot more difficult. So the Bills need to find some kind of solution to getting controlled at the line of scrimmage the way they have been by the Patriots, by the Colts, and I think we'll learn a lot as well this week against Tampa Bay. Sam, the, this uh, I want to ask you if this is like always the case. So this game being highly scrutinized, and you know, one thing about it is, yes, Allen could throw the ball through the wind. I appreciated a comment you made about how impressive that was, like sort of physically in this game with what the wind was like. But there's also some amount of, hey, look, this guy was open on this play, and why didn't he throw it here? We had that at the end of the Jacksonville game. Oh, look, Sanders is at the sticks. Why does he throw it there? So. I feel like there's some truth or some, you know, merit to the to all that sort of review. But I also kind of wonder if that's every quarterback every game. I mean, if it would vary some, but you know, like could 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 I watch anybody and find five or ten plays where like this guy was open? So what's your experience with that? Yeah, I think so. I think if you if you want to dive in to quarterback tape, you can kind of make any story you want of pretty much any quarterback in the NFL. If you're looking for plays to back up a, a you know a, a predetermined viewpoint, and I think that's where you get into trouble with that game in particular. The weather was so ridiculous that I think it's very difficult to take anything from the passing game other than you know the aesthetics of Josh Allen throwing a perfect spiral 
um, through a gale force wind was just ridiculously fun to watch. But there's plays that Josh Allen missed. There's plays that his receivers missed. Um, and it's difficult to know how much the wind played any effect in any of them. You know, the, the deep pass to Stephon Diggs that hit him in the arm in the end zone. I mean, it's very hard to know without a camera sort of tracking the ball the whole way did the wind move that a significant amount, which threw Diggs off? Was it the fact that he had to change shoulders and sort of couldn't recenter himself again once he took a peek at where the end zone was, all those kinds of things? But those are, those are the differences. Like, it's a tiny gap here or there on a few plays in a game where the weather was so absurd that one team essentially completely abandoned their passing game. I think that Allen has been more inconsistent this year than last season but he's still making enough plays for this offense to be very good and for them to be winning pretty much any game. All right, uh, yes. What did we learn about the rest of the conference here, Sam? Um, I know it's a big question for like only a few minutes, but like the Patriots and the Bills at the top of the AFC East, arguably the two best teams in the conference, maybe. We had Kansas City look bad again on offense. We had Baltimore struggle again on offense. What's new from last week for you? Nothing really except uh, just a sort of reaffirmation that I don't think there is any terrifying elite dominant team this season. I think you're going to see either one of the teams that makes the playoffs get hot at the right time, catch fire, win a few games in a row, or it's going to be a lot more random than we typically anticipate playoffs being. You're going to see – you know, whoever plays well in each weekend of the playoffs, those are the teams that are going to progress, and it's not going to be this uh, nice, neat, you know, the the Chiefs are the best team, they're going to walk through to the, the postseason. Um, the only kind of thing that might change that is if Kansas City's offense does find its spark again and, and get itself out of that funk, because their defense seems to have absolutely turned things around. The offense isn't quite where we expect it to be, but there's always that lingering threat that they, they could do that at any given moment, and then they become, I think, easily the best team in the conference. Okay. How, do, are, are you a spreads guy, lines guy, like Tampa being minus three or three and a half? I, I've said this already a couple times since Monday night, Sam, that the lines are always a curiosity for me, but I feel like this is this one is a story that – here you have the Bills off that game and their struggles. And the Buccaneers, like how many teams in the league would be less than a three-point underdog at Tampa right now? Yeah, not too many. I mean, the Buccaneers we have as the number one team in our PFF power rankings. Like with everything we know about that team and all the data we have, the the PFF power rankings think they're the best team in the NFL as they, they go on that quest for that back-to-back championship. So I think – they are giving Buffalo a lot of respect despite that game to New England. I think we've seen before that the Bills are too good a team to just dismiss as, as not capable of hanging with even the best teams in the NFL. Their issues are not, you know, they run up against better teams. Their issues have been running up against teams that just are a bad matchup stylistically for what they do. Mm-hmm. Well, Brady is the MVP favorite as we get into the final month of the season. And like, do you have the words for this? 5,300-yard pace. I mean, the touchdown passes, all of it, best team in the league, going for back-to-back with a new team, 44 years old. Are there words for this? Well, I mean, 17th game certainly helps. Um, But, yeah, like the things that he's doing at his age are 
they're unprecedented. Like, this shouldn't happen. This is not what we come to expect from NFL players who typically fall off that age cliff years ago. Um, you just have to sit back and, and marvel at it. It's, it's genuinely staggering what he's doing. And, you know, people, people get upset when you keep talking about it. Like, oh, okay, we get it. Brady's old. But, like, this is going to stop happening at some point. Like, enjoy it while you see <laughs> a 44-year-old guy out there playing like the best quarterback in the NFL. All right, that was Pro Football Focus Sam Monson, who was with Mike Schopen, the Bulldog, for his uh, his weekly segment earlier on this week. Uh, of course, thanks again to all of our guests this afternoon, Ryan Talbot of New York Upstate. Big thanks to John Ledyard of the Pewter Report for helping me break down Bill's Bucks, Mike Tanier of Football Outsiders, and Greg Thompson of Cover One. Zach Jones, appreciate you as well for... Uh, Working the board today. I'll be back for pregame tomorrow starting 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the home of the Bills, WGR Sports Radio 550. Jeremy and uh, Jeremy White and I will begin breaking down Bills and Bucks and what a game it will be, of course. So for me, Nick Erie, Zach Jones, we appreciate you here listening here on WGR. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.